The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings, all, and welcome to Capital Weekly's podcast. I'm joined today with by Tim Foster. Hello. Hello. Um, and by the way, we're doing this amazingly remotely. So if this all works, we expect letters of commendation from all the listeners. And our special guest today is Carmela Coyle, the president of the California Hospital Association. And we wanted to ask her, how is it going with the hospitals in the face of the cor- uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic that seems to be increasing exponentially day by day. Uh, Carmela, what's the view from the hospital's perspective? Yeah, and thanks so much, John, for inviting me to uh, join virtually today. Uh, um, It is um, a challenge, unlike challenges that we have seen before. Uh, As you know, California hospitals, simply because of the state that we are in, deal with a lot of emergencies. Uh, We deal with earthquakes, we deal with wildfires, we deal with mudslides, Uh, But the coronavirus and the disease is quite extraordinary and something we haven't quite dealt with before. Those other activities are immediate emergencies, usually with one geographic location. What we're talking about here is the spread of a virus and then a spread of a disease uh, that is just of an order of potential magnitude that we haven't seen before. And while that spread is going on, uh, the hospitals are doing the other things they always do anyway. I mean, there are auto accidents out there. There are are other diseases. There are other issues people have that come into the hospitals. The emergency rooms are still working. So this is a layer on on top of all that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and hospitals right now um, are in different stages. So uh, for um, a significant part of the state, they're in preparation mode. That is, uh, we've got folks who are coming into the hospital every day for the things they normally come in for, and these hospitals are now readying their surge capacity, they call it, the ability of them to stretch and find even more beds and more personnel to help them deal with coronavirus on top of that. But I want to remind everybody, too, that we've got hospitals that have been in the thick of this for the last several weeks because the Japanese cruise ship was repatriated. Americans were repatriated through California. And because of the cruise ship that then docked in the port of Oakland, we have a number of hospitals uh, that are close to Travis Air Force Base, to Miramar, who have really been in the middle of addressing and dealing not only with COVID-positive patients, uh, but COVID-positive patients who are quite ill. So we've got some who are in it, and they've been working this, and they've been um, testing their systems, and we've got other parts of the state where they're still preparing. Is the testing uh, equipment that you need, uh, the ability to test for this virus, are you receiving test kits? This has been an issue that's been ongoing uh, for the last week, at least, if there aren't enough, there isn't enough testing equipment out there to to do that. And as more testing equipment comes in, those testing positive go up because more people are getting tested. It's sort of a synergy going on there. What what's the situation that you hear from your members as to being able to test for this? Yeah, you you've got that just right. So it's a, a good news bad news story. 
Uh, the good news is that in California, we have dramatically increased our testing capabilities. Uh, we have stood up a number of uh, state-based laboratories that are now able to process these tests more quickly. Previously, we had to ship those tests to the CDC in Atlanta. Uh, we now have, within the hospital system alone, a number of labs that are up and running, and we are currently doing about 4,000 tests a day, with a few hundred more coming online in the next few days. But if that's the good news, the bad news is we don't have the testing kits that we need. Uh, many of the testing kits that were received in the state of California did not have all of the pieces that were needed. And now we're facing dramatic shortages, not only of the nasal swabs that are used to take the sample, and, and they're not like Q-tips, uh, they're, they're very different, they're very specialized, but those nasal swabs, and then what they call the reagent, uh, the stuff that you have to put that swab in in order to do the test. And, and so I think that's leading many in the state of California to think that we are uh, beyond um, some of the benefit that testing can do for us because the virus is already in the community and you're able to get it in the community. And so now we're really preparing for the fact that many, many, many Californians uh, will get this virus. Mm -hmm. uh, only about 20% will actually become ill as a result of the virus, but that's the number that we're managing with right now. If um, if the uh, numbers hold, I mean the projections and the estimates hold, one estimate I saw from the state was that California hospitals would need between 2,000 and 20,000 more ICU beds. Does that make sense to you? I mean, from what you've heard from your folks, is that, and I know it's a wide variation too, but a lot of that depends on testing. But uh, are we talking a magnitude, an increase of ICU beds that will be necessary to deal with this? Uh, absolutely. And we can talk a little bit about that. I think the governor uh, has now been sharing more of the elements of the model that they're looking at to understand uh, both the spread and the speed of this disease. Uh, the governor um, is talking about uh, what they refer to as um, the R naught. This is for every person who has the virus, how many other people will they spread that to? Uh, their model is using the number two. So for everyone who has the virus, they have the potential to spread it to two others. And then we're looking at uh, what's called the attack rate. Um, how many people will actually get it? And at the high end of the scenario, it could be more than half of all Californians who ultimately get the virus. Again, remember, 15 to 20% of those need hospital care. Uh, but to your important point, John, um, that will be more intensive care unit beds and capacity than we have at the moment. But what we're doing right now in California is looking how we can stretch and surge that capacity to begin to meet some of this need. What's the difference um, between, say, an ICU bed, intensive care unit bed, <clears throat> excuse me, and a, a regular bed or a, or a, a different bed? I mean, what, what makes the ICU bed stand out? Why is it uh, not complicated? It seems to need a lot of equipment to go along with it and also seems to be expensive in terms of making them. Yeah, uh, that, that's exactly right. Think of it as um, uh, levels of complexity. Uh, a typical hospital room may have two people in it, 
a curtain that you pull between. It's certainly got some standard equipment, oxygen, and, and some other things, uh, but it may be a, a, a generally a lower level than what you would see in an intensive care unit bed where each uh, bed would be isolated. Um, and I don't mean an isolation room, that's very different, uh, but each bed is sort of on its own, higher level of technical capability. And this is the really important point. We're thinking about capacity in terms of room types and square footage, but what also differentiates this capability are the clinical people who staff those rooms. So your ICU level staffers uh, are skilled and trained at an even higher level than perhaps a typical acute care bed. Using some numbers, I mentioned before we got on the podcast, I read an LA Times story a couple of days ago that they did a data analysis of hospital beds and availability and numbers and that kind of thing. And they came up with um, 3,700, excuse me, seven over 7,000 uh, intensive care uh, unit beds in California's 365 hospitals that have these units. These are their numbers, and these numbers I know vary, but they said about half of them, about 3,700 of the ICU beds are down in Southern California. About 1,400 are in the nine counties of the San Francisco Bay Area. And I know that area in California is particularly a hot spot. So I'm wondering when it comes to resources, are we going to have to be looking more at at the Bay Area in terms of adding IC in terms of adding ICU beds, getting them into the Bay Area as a first priority, or is that um, not necessarily true? Yeah, well, there's there's a lot about what you've just laid out that that's uh, that's right, um, and that is, of course, the ICU beds tend to be located where the people are in the state of California. They're in our large urban areas. There, of course, are ICU beds uh, available in hospitals across the state. But here's where I think the numbers can be misleading, and I think some folks um, uh, are, are saying, here are the numbers now and we don't have enough. Uh, we're really doing at least a couple of things. The first thing, every hospital has what's called a, a surge capacity plan. So every hospital has the ability to take a typical acute care bed and transform that into uh, an ICU bed, and that's with bringing in additional equipment technology. Sometimes it's uh, sealing off to create very specialized negative pressure rooms uh, and some other things. Um, so uh, within the four walls of a hospital, there is the opportunity for an organization to reshape its physical capacity. And again, we've got to then think about how we staff it. So that's going to be the first line of defense, and we're prepping for that now. How do we reshape the current capacity to be the capacity that we need, and that is at a higher and more complex mm -hmm. level? Kind of the second level of defense as this surge and potential surge of COVID positive, really acutely ill patients comes into the healthcare system is to then try to take patients who are in the hospital who are less acutely ill and move them to another setting. Uh, so you may be in the hospital for a broken leg uh, or something that might be less severe, less acutely ill. Are there other places we can take those individuals so the hospitals are really left for the most acutely ill patients? Um, and again, we can flex that capacity. The third stage that we're involved in right now with the state, and the governor has been talking about this most recently, is can we then identify other physical capacity that we could 
either uh, shift or, as they say, stand up for the needs that we have. Uh, the governor announced just yesterday that there are two hospitals. Uh, the state is looking to buy one and lease the other. These are two recently closed facilities, one that was recently closed, another that is about to close. But we'd like to take that capacity and use it either for this emergent need or for these lower care needs. And then finally, uh, as the governor has been talking about, uh, we can look at some military assets. Uh, he has made a request for the naval ship, the USNS Mercy. It's a thousand bed uh, ship um, that is already on the West Coast, docked in San Diego. And is there a possibility to use that ship for California? Of course, there are other needs up and down the West Coast. And then things like field hospitals and all the rest. So um, I think we've got some bed capacity. It is possible that we need more. And what we're really looking right now is at the critical issue of staff and the supplies needed to treat these individuals. Do you think the money will be there? That's always a fight in California is over the budget. Where are we getting the money? Can we, can we spend it where we want to? Will we get federal dollars in here? Uh, do you think the money will be there to do the kinds of things you're talking about, buying hospitals and up, uh, you know, increasing quickly staff, staffing and training and that kind of thing? Well, the healthcare delivery system is really going to have to count on it. Uh, I will say that the California legislature acted in an almost unprecedented way, uh, providing in, in less than a day's time about $500 million in resources for this. At the federal level, we are now on our second federal uh, supplemental uh, for coronavirus. We anticipate there will be more. And now what we're really looking at is what else is needed uh, to keep not only California hospitals, but the nation's hospitals open and running. And, and this is against a backdrop where um, uh, we have about a third of California hospitals on a day-to-day -day basis operating in the red anyway. Um, I, we uh -huh. will plan for that, and I am hopeful that we will uh, receive that funding right now. We're really focused on our patients, on our communities, and on the immediate supply and staffing issues where we are short, um, and we're getting creative there as well. I, I know there's some hospitals, uh, there's some hospitals in, in um, some areas, I think every uh, county at least has one, and there are probably more and more populated counties that are required to take in patients that don't have uh, health insurance. They're they're sort of the place of last resort for people who've been who are ill or have been injured, and they go to their hospital, and the hospital handles that. Is that are those the hospitals sort of on the front line with with the cor uh, coronavirus epidemic? Um, actually not. Um, every hospital in the state of California uh, takes and cares for uh, individuals who don't have insurance, some of our uh, most vulnerable individuals, which tends to be driven actually more by geography and the local economy than anything else. Um, you know, the hospitals that are really hardest hit are those where the COVID-19 spread is greatest. So Santa Clara and the Bay Area really hard hit. Uh, Sacramento and the Placer County area hard hit. San Diego, again, uh, with uh, repatriation from the cruise ships, harder hit. And um, some of that is simply harder hit in terms of supply needs and staff. So we are very grateful um, that uh, we and the state has been supportive. 
Um, we've got shortages of personal protective equipment, that really important equipment that helps protect healthcare workers, but it can't be used for everybody. We've really got to reserve that for those healthcare workers who are in close contact with the sickest patients. For everyone else, we need to be smart and follow the science using surgical masks as an example. Um, but we're going to have to be very careful about the supply of masks and face shields and gowns and gloves. And then we're going to have to be very careful uh, supporting our healthcare workforce, bringing back people who may have recently retired, doctors, nurses. How can we use skirl nurses not to treat the most sick patients, but to help us treat those patients who we may be able to move out of the hospital uh, into some of these other locations and take care of their more basic needs. So uh, you, you just mentioned the masks, and I know that there are shortages of masks and other equipment. Uh, can you talk about the challenges of keeping COVID from spreading within the hospital environment? I know that's got to be difficult, being that you can't really socially distance in a hospital. Yeah, and, uh, and in some respects, it's not significantly different than the spread we're experiencing in the community. That is, as we're looking at numbers as the potential for one in two Californians to test positive for this disease, and because we haven't been able to uh, test in early stages that might have allowed us to isolate folks who tested positive, it is out there. It is just as easy for a nurse uh, to acquire the COVID-19 virus uh, in the community or at the grocery store as it is in the healthcare environment. What we are going to try to do is to make certain that the sickest patients with who are COVID positive, uh, clearly we're using and protecting our healthcare workers, uh, using these special respirator masks, making certain that they've got the full personal protective equipment on, and to the extent that we can even cohorting um, putting together COVID-positive patients in certain parts of the hospital, separating them from people needing other types of care. Those are important ways that we can try to minimize the spread. I think what we're really preparing for right now is that spread is happening. Now we're really focused on what are those healthcare needs for that population. The difference between rural communities and uh, urban communities I was chatting with a graduate student yesterday about this. She's in, in uh, taking public health, a master's over at Berkeley, as well as journalism, both together, sort of a bifurcated master's. And she said some of the issues that came up they were discussing at the school was the difficulty of rural residents to get to care that they need uh, to be able to be tested, to be able to get into a hospital. They might be Many, long distances from many miles, uh, 50, 60 miles, in fact, in counties like way up Siski or Alturas, uh, Modoc. Um, do you have any thoughts about that in terms of your, your spread of hospitals around the state? Is there a particular issue for rural residents to get care? Um, you know, it's really, a, it's really an, interesting, uh, an interesting question. I kind of look at this with pluses and minuses. Um, we are fortunate that we have some rural hospitals, critical access hospitals that serve some of the more remote areas of the state. Um, of course, people who are living in those uh, more remote areas have further to drive to have their health care needs met. Uh, that will be a challenge. And um, certainly some of our more, um, uh, a smaller, more rural hospitals may not have all of the higher tech capabilities uh, to deal with this disease. 
Um, while uh, ventilators are fairly widespread, we know where there will likely be a shortage of ventilators um, and technologies like um, ECMO, uh, where we're dealing with um, how can we help um, using some blood cleansing technologies, that's really uh, more available in our academic medical centers in rural areas. So there are some differences. On the other hand, I think for Californians living in our more rural and um, geographically remote areas, they may have a lower risk of spread of COVID-19 than you do if you're in a large urban area with lots of folks around. So mm -hmm. I think there are some yeah. pluses and minuses yeah. there. Is there an a, a issue in California evolving that you could see happening? It's already happened in Italy. I know it's happened in Spain where... Uh, the, the physicians, the doctors have to make a decision because they have limited equipment. They have to make life and death decisions, who gets treated and who doesn't. Uh, this is obviously, this is a horrific dilemma for a physician, uh, obviously, well, for the patient. But is this the kind of thing, is this in the on the horizon for us? We look forward on this? Um, it is such a sobering question. Um, we are witnessing those ethical dilemmas that they're dealing with in Italy. Uh, we witnessed some of those ethical dilemmas after Hurricane Katrina. Um, what mm. I can tell you is we are doing everything we can to prepare now, not just hospitals, but as a healthcare delivery system and as a state, to do everything we can now to avoid having to make those kinds of decisions. Um, and what we're trying to do is close the gap on the spread of this disease. Uh, that's why everybody's being asked to stay home. And if I, if I may, I really want to thank every Californian and everybody who might be listening to this podcast. The most important thing that everyone can do right now is to do their part in terms of staying at home. If we can slow the spread, we can use our healthcare resources as wisely and efficiently as possible. We are preparing for a scenario in which we will have more people in the healthcare system at the same time, um, not only than usual, but even under our emergency planning is more than desirable. Anything we can do um, to slow that spread will help us use those resources more efficiently. So our hope is we don't get to those ethical uh, dilemmas uh, mm -hmm. and we're working real hard right now to try to make that happen. You know, I hate staying at home. I cannot stand it. I mean, I like staying home a little bit, but I like running around. I have cabin fever after three hours at home. So I want you to know I'm really paying the price for this. I'm making a sacrifice in my own way. And then I'm starting to binge watch some shows I haven't seen in years and years and years. I started on Law & Order the first season yesterday, which goes back to, I think, the 90s or something. Um, so I, you know, I'd like to be out running around too, but I get it. We all have to be, we have to, we have to sacrifice. So uh. all, all of California thanks you. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know how my family feels about me either. I've got everybody washing their hands every 20 minutes and wiping doorknobs and all of that sort of thing. So uh, I think we're all doing that. The dog yeah. is wondering what yeah. we're all doing. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, outside, outside my house, I'll, I'll see people walking their dogs and family more. I see more people walking around now, usually, you know, 6.30 to 7.30 to 8, right around there. It's kind of getting a little, it's not dark, but it's getting, you know, it's twilight, kind of approaching twilight. And I see families, uh, kids, dogs all together in units. I never saw them quite like that many before, but I'd say every evening we see half a dozen or so just walking down our street, which is pretty cool. You know, they're, they've got cabin fever too. 
Well, and, 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 and an opportunity. I know some are starting to talk and write about this. Um, we are going to need the state of California uh, to really uh, muster its resilience. Um, we've got the strength, we've got the capabilities. It's going to take each and every one of us doing our part, whether that's not going to the grocery store to hoard groceries and making certain that our seniors have access to the food that they need as well. We're going to have to think differently and uniquely, but what an opportunity uh, to pause. Uh, an opportunity to reconnect with those that we love and an opportunity for everyone to think, what can we do? Uh, what's our part to this COVID core, uh, right? How do we all come together uh, as a community and think about things differently and help those who are in most need? Cool. Well, fair enough. And on that positive note, I think um, Carmela Coyle, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thank you. And this is John Howard, and we will see you next time around. Thank you.